Pantry Studio production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. So quiet. You could hear a butterfly's wings quiver. Stores downtown were closed that day. It seems that everywhere you might have looked, there were blue balloons and star-spangled banners that waved in the wind. And also, the picture of a man, a husband, a father, a hero. Pictures of Jason Ellis, that smiled from the store's closed windows. Oh, they were shut down for a solemn reason. You know, it's now been over eight years, and this is one of several mysteries that the Mountain Mysteries will look into over the next few weeks in a quiet little place only all too close to Louisville, Kentucky. It's just a bit south, as the fact of the matter goes, about an hour. It's known for its whiskey and the annual bourbon festival held in September, and was also once named one of the most beautiful small towns in America by the Rand McNally map folks and USA Today. Yeah, we've heard of both of them. Oh yes, it's that kind of place. Where people know each other. Seems the word friend is used very often, and hugs are as welcome as handshakes to those who know each other in this small Nelson County community of around 11,000, according to the 2010 census. I'd imagine it's grown since then, because it is hard to imagine anything out of sorts here, anything treacherous or even, dare I say it, sinister? But like virtually any small town in America, secrets do exist. Oh. And despite the best efforts of those who would shine a light in the darkest of all places, well, sometimes those pesky little things, those secrets, simply aren't ready to come out of hiding. Yet. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and this is Episode 15, Bardstown. The Mountain Mystery of Jason Ellis. The last to fall I won't shed a tear for them to see billion square acres in the United States alone, and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous. Reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, and those who have seemingly vanished. They are questions that need asking and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Sloan.
Just a reminder that right now on the MountainMysteriesPodcast.com, you can take 10% off all of our clothing and accessories, store-wide, everything in there. If you're a Patreon member, you can take up to 15% off. So please become a Patreon member and help support the independent creators of the Mountain Mysteries Podcast. He was a minor league baseball player from Ohio and the kind of guy everyone wanted to be around. Jason Ellis had given up the game he loved so much for something he loved even more. His family and his second dream, a career in law enforcement. He was a fun-loving man with a silly streak, someone who planned barbecues and once dressed as an elf for the city's fancy Christmas party, even though no one else was in costume. On May 30th, 2013, the small Kentucky community of Bardstown fell silent and was somberly adorned for its fallen hero. He was a commander's cop and did his job with hardly any grumbles at all. His wife, Amy, had joined him on several ride-alongs and watched him laugh and talk with whomever he'd just pulled over. She'd often asked Jason if he knew them, but turns out that he didn't. He was good to everyone, colleagues and relatives. They all say that he was fair. They say that he was by the book. Hundreds of people lined the streets to say goodbye to Jason, a police officer who'd been murdered only five days before. They'd left work and brought their kids, waiting hours to salute a sea of cop cars in the miles-long procession from Parkway Baptist Church to the rural cemetery and chaplain. That would be his final resting place. He was proud of what he did. The drugs he took off the streets. The criminals that he arrested. The Jason that we knew was always the first one in and Usually, the last one out. Former police chief Rick McCubbin told Jason's mourners at his funeral, as he stood at a glass podium overlooking Jason's American flag-draped coffin. Jason would end his conversations with a grin and a thumbs-up, McCubbin recalled, saying, you're my chief, you're my chief, Jason would say. But that's when McCubbin responded to Jason by saying, I am your chief, Jason, but you are now our hero, and you must know that your chief will not stand down. There wasn't an empty seat at the service, and I would imagine there was not a dry eye either. Hundreds of cops from the Commonwealth of Kentucky and beyond came to support the Bardstown Department which was now down to 25 officers. But some Kentuckians couldn't be there. You see, they were busy. They were out chasing leads in the K-9 officer's killing. Jason, a married father of two boys, was shot down in an ambush. On his way home from work on May 25, 2013, he was only 33 years old. His funeral was on a day that otherwise would have marked his seventh year with the Bardstown Force. He was the first 
in the department's history to be slain in the line of duty. A death that sent shockwaves through Bardstown, about 40 miles southeast of Louisville, and named the most beautiful small town in America only the year before. Well, someone, whoever it was, carefully plotted Jason Ellis's demise, setting tree branches on a narrow exit ramp off the Bluegrass Parkway and waiting in the bluffs above. The trap came after Jason, who worked second shift, clocked out at 2 a.m. The killer fatally blasted him with a shotgun after he got out of his cruiser to clear the debris from the road. As of eight years now, no one's been charged in Jason Ellis's murder. Chris Phillips, Jason's mother-in-law, can't come to terms with it. There's no hint of any kind of closure nearby, and that mystery still haunts her to this day. She said that they're in a place every day that you think maybe this will be the day. That day goes by and, well, nothing. It's not a very good place to be. She added by stating that there's nothing that anyone knows. It was the perfect crime. Even as Bardstown reeled from Jason Ellis' assassination, four other murders would rock the charming tourist town over the next few years, and none of them have been solved as of this date. Yes, four. Four more. An elementary school teacher, Kathy Netherland, and her teenage daughter, Samantha, were slaughtered in their home in April of 2014. It was only days before prom. Crystal Rogers, a beautiful 35-year-old mother of five, vanished over the 4th of July weekend in 2015. The cops identified Brooks Hook as the father of her youngest son and as a suspect but haven't charged him in her disappearance. Simply don't have enough evidence, they said. Brooks also had a brother named Nick, who was a Bardstown police officer until he was released from his duties due to his behavior, reports said. Then there was November of 2016. As if one family tragedy was not enough, Crystal's father, Tommy Ballard, was fatally shot on his hunting land. Now, according to sources, Ballard's family believes he was targeted because of his dogged pursuit of justice for his daughter. Kentucky State Police are investigating all of these but the Rogers case, which is helmed by the Nelson County Sheriff's Office. Not a lot of details are known about people. For the Ellis and Netherland families, a lack of arrest, let alone any named suspects or motives, have left them feeling helpless and tortured by doubt. Now, according to Phillips, this keeps them up at night. He thinks about it every day, all the time, feeling like he's let him down. Phillips and Jason Ellis were very close. If this had happened to his son or daughter, Jason would have went to the ends of the earth. The kind of person that he was, he would have never, ever had letting this go. Never. Jason grew up in Batavia, Ohio, but was perfect for Bardstown. His boss, then Police Chief McCubbin, once remarked that no one could tell Jason was an out-of-towner. He loved his community. Loved living in a small town, but before moving to Kentucky, played minor league baseball for two affiliates of the Cincinnati Reds. 
the Billings Mustangs in Montana, and the Arizona League Reds. He was a standout athlete at the University of the Cumberlands in Williamsburg, Kentucky, where he still holds several multiple records, including best career batting average. In 2011, he was also inducted into the Cumberlands Patriots Hall of Fame. The private Baptist college is also where he met his wife, Amy, at a party on Valentine's Day in 2001. It was impossible to separate them after that. She said, his wife Amy, that it was truly love at first sight. He was her best friend. Her mother joined their first date. Phillips was passing through town and called her daughter to see if she wanted to have dinner. Well, as the story goes, Amy already had plans with Jason, but he welcomed Phillips to tag along and brought two bouquets of flowers. One for Amy and one for her mom. Amy said that's when she knew Jason was the one. And about three years later, wedding bells rang. She said, quote, I thought often how lucky I was to have this wonderful man. I felt as if I had everything. End quote. That's what Amy told the church newspaper. Now, with an interview in a paper called The Daily Beast, Amy said that she and Jason were growing up together, from college graduations to their wedding, honeymoon, having kids, building their house together, all the normal life events. They had fun together. Amy said that Jason was always the one making sure everyone was having fun. Jason was a catcher. He was drafted out of college. He left baseball when Amy became pregnant with her son, Hunter, who was born with Down syndrome and had health complications that required open-heart surgery. Jason told Amy he had lots of dreams. Among those was to be her husband, a dad, and a police officer. So he gave up baseball and let that dream go to come home and be there for Amy and their children. She said that that kind of memory, well, that's the perfect kind of example of the man that he was. In May of 2006, Jason took his oath as a Bardstown police officer. He didn't talk about work because he didn't want Amy to worry. But he was proud to make the city safer with the help of his canine partner, Figo, a German shepherd and the agency's only drug-sniffing dog, and decorated his bathroom with articles on his arrests. Well, Figo made national headlines after Jason's funeral. The dog arrested his paw on Jason's casket. A moment captured by a freelance photographer that if you see this, your eyes, well, they'll be flooded with emotion. It was only a couple of years ago that Figo passed away, days before the fourth anniversary of Jason's death. Amy said that Jason always made her feel like he was Superman, that nothing would ever happen to him. Jason Ellis cuffed more than 350 people, including a few alleged members of the Bardstown Money Gang, a violent group that became known for beatings around town and that posted its own anthems to YouTube, according to the Louisville Courier-Journal. One supposed member, Brant Shekels, a nephew of Bardstown former mayor, threatened cops while being arrested for menacing and referenced Jason's murder. In 2013, state police said Shekels was not a viable suspect. 
McCubbin told the Kentucky Standard that he doubted other BMG stalwarts' claims of killing Jason. He said that they were just trying to be little badasses, he said, and they didn't do shit. DeAndre Labrice Douglas, whom Jason arrested for assault and who police say was a BMG leader, told the Courier-Journal in a jailhouse interview that none of his associates were involved with Jason's death and he didn't order a hit. He asked, who do you think I am, John Gotti? Meanwhile, most of Jason's arrest in Nelson County involved traffic violations, but some became felony indictments, including manufacturing of methamphetamines. His personal file was flawless, showing no complaints for excessive force or bad behavior. Rather, he and other officers earned commendations, including one for their response to a house fire in 2007 and another for handling a knife-wielding suicidal maniac in 2008. In April of that year, well, Jason received another commendation, officer of the quarter. One defense attorney even said that Jason was a great guy. He'd walk out of the court and shake your hand. His client happened to have been busted by Jason for drug trafficking, according to the Courier-Journal. Now, Phillips, a mourner at Jason's funeral, mentioned how the officer cuffed him on a minor drug charge, then spotted him the next day. The man brought his son to t-ball practice, but waited in the car to avoid Jason, who was a little league coach. Today, I'm not a police officer. I'm a parent, Jason told the man. Come and throw the ball with your son. In the hours before Jason died, he coached his son's team in a police uniform until he was called to a domestic disturbance. Amy remembers that he ran off the field without saying goodbye. She watched him from the bleachers. Still, the workday was hardly eventful. Jason drove in a spare Bardstown cruiser while his usual Ford Explorer, equipped for his K-9, was in the shop. He visited the five-star convenience store, one of the only spots open late, and where night shift officers grabbed drinks and snacks. Jason phoned Amy around 11 p.m. to say hello. She and the children, Hunter 7 and Parker 6, had fallen asleep watching TV. She remembers their last call was brief. Jason told her that he loved her. She reciprocated. Then they hung up. The night continued with a dispatch about a one-armed man who was drunk and disorderly and lying in the road with a head wound. Jason arrived on the scene and not long after drove to the hospital where EMS had transported the man. The suspect allegedly grew belligerent and attacked emergency staff. Around 1.46 in the morning, Jason booked the man into the Nelson County Jail. He wrote up a citation, then embarked on the 17-mile drive home where Amy was drifting off on the couch, waiting for him. His kids were sound asleep in their beds. That dreaded knock on the door came around 3 a.m. Amy got up and walked over, thinking, maybe without thought, figuring he'd lost his house keys. But when she reached the doorstep, she saw a chaplain and a police officer in tears. That night, the full moon was so big and bright, it lit up the sky. Now, Jason had taken his usual route home. He was driving on the Bluegrass Parkway and took exit 34. His house in Bloomfield was uh, about 20 minutes away from the police station. As he steered down the ramp, Jason noticed tree limbs blocking the roadway. He clicked on his blue emergency lights and parked his squad car in the middle of the road to stop oncoming traffic so he could clear a path. 
he never radioed dispatch or drew his weapon. His bulletproof vest was on when he took his final steps to that pile of brush. All that time, Jason did not know of the gunman waiting in the hills above, surveying the off-ramp flanked by steep rock walls. As Jason reached down to collect the branches, the blasts from a 12-gauge shotgun pierced the quiet, the darkness, and the peace, and shattered the heart of a town. Jason collapsed to the pavement. It was 2.30. A driver came upon his police cruiser, which concealed his lifeless body by the road and waited for movement. Then a second motorist came. They exited their vehicles and approached the cruiser. They saw the blood in the road. A panicked woman from the first car got onto the radio of Jason's cruiser and screamed, Hello, hello, officer down, officer down. The dispatcher later asked, Ma'am, can you advise me of the status of the officer? Is he conscious? I believe he's dead, she replied. The second driver found the radio on Jason's belt and gave dispatchers their location. Bardstown Police Sergeants Michael Medley and Andrew Riley, two of Jason's close friends and colleagues, were first to the scene. Medley remembers hearing the woman screeching into the police scanner. At first, he thought a child of a county cop had gotten their hands on a police radio, but then he heard the harrowing warning. Officer down. Officer down. Dispatch came on and asked them to identify themselves, and the only thing they would say was Bloomfield Road. Medley said of the first driver, the cop sped off in that direction until the second driver clarified that they were at exit 34. Medley had no idea he'd encounter Jason Ellis, the officer he'd spoke to hours before, and the friend whom he'd shared cookouts and family vacations with. Riley checked for a pulse and removed Jason's shirt while Medley undid his ballistics vest. He wasn't breathing and his temperature was cold, yet they didn't know he'd been shot until EMS workers arrived. The Kentucky State Police were called in. Medley recalled seeing his colleague's body in the road. He said, you don't want to believe it. And even when I seen him, I didn't recognize him. I don't know if my mind was trying to tell me not to believe it, but it didn't look like anybody that I knew. They stayed on the scene until 8 or 9 o'clock that morning. The moon was bright that night, probably the brightest I can ever remember, Medley said. Once it was daylight, we helped state police look for where the shooter may have been. Whatever evidence there was, we couldn't find it. In the afternoon, state police held a press conference saying Jason Ellis's murder was premeditated. However, they were not certain whether Officer Ellis was the target or another police officer, or even a citizen was the target of this, Trooper Norman Chafin said, before asking the public for tips. Maybe someone saw something days or a week, or sometime prior to the ambush. A car parked along the exit ramp, people walking the Bluegrass Parkway. Well, one motorist contacted authorities and said she'd driven around the debris before Jason was shot. 
Schaefens didn't confirm when she exited the ramp. Medley doesn't have a theory about the murder and asked if he believed Jason was targeted. He said, I don't know. But they knew that he was a police officer. Somebody out there knows something, Medley said, and I would have to agree with that. Somebody knows something. Medley said that the only thing that he can think of is that they were just too scared to say it because they were afraid that it might happen to them. Weeks later, the Bartown's police department received death threats on social media and in letters and phone calls. One down, 25 to go. One message read, referring to Jason's killing. Medley said he and fellow officers were on edge. At the time, he was living alone. Every night and morning, I would come in and check each room, Medley said, and he still couldn't sleep. Now, now it's eight years later, someone's walking around, Medley added, believing they've gotten away with killing a cop. Chris Phillips thought justice would have been served by now. I feel the people involved are still right here, she said of one of her son-in-law's killers. They're living, breathing, and walking around right here in Bartstown. The reward for information in Jason Ellis's case is now over $200,000, but Phillips wants to raise the money to make it $1 million. If nobody calls a tip in on a $1 million, to me, that says a lot, Phillips said. You are family. You are all in it together. If you tattle, you tattle on yourself. Whoever picked that exit ramp had to be local, Phillips said. They had to be familiar with the narrow rock walls bordering the roadway, knowing they provide cover. She worries that a pair of retired Kentucky State Police detectives hired last year to work the slew of unsolved Bardstown murders are too late. Phillips once sent a certified letter to the FBI seeking help. I did not get a physical reply, she said. I got a phone call. And the phone call was not a very pleasant one. The feds declined to help, saying that they had confidence in Kentucky State Police investigators. Phillips, whose son is also a Bardstown cop, said law enforcement is shorthanded and lacks resources. Funding is so poor that she's been involved in a fundraiser to purchase tourniquets for troopers. It's very frustrating, she said. It's like a perfect storm of events. You have law enforcement that's defunct. The federal level, that's a crazy mess. And there's nobody that you can count on when it comes to something like this. There's nobody I can go to and say, please help us. She believes Jason's death couldn't have been pulled off without multiple people. Someone was sitting on the overpass telling Jason and sending word to the shooter in the hillside. Someone dragged tree limbs out moments before Jason came down that ramp. Phillip's neighbor drove the path not long before Jason. She says she saw no branches. Jason was driving a loner car and without his beloved K-9 Figo. He was in that vehicle when he made certain arrests that week, Phillips said, but it was not the cruiser that he normally drove. She then thought about why somebody would do this. Who would take so much time to plot the death of one small-town police officer? Well, perhaps the killer worried about Jason Ellis' future court testimony or was out for revenge for their kin. Think about it. He arrested or charged someone in your family. And maybe you lost your job, your wife left you, and you lost custody of your kids. Maybe everything just went to hell in a handcart. 
Phillips had that statement mulling the possibilities. That's the theory, and it makes sense. She also thought of the Cornbread Mafia, a Kentucky marijuana ring led by John Robert Johnny Boone. Well, that man was on the lam for eight years until his arrest in 2016. They knew where this guy was hiding, and they wouldn't rat him out. That's where we live. That's the mentality, Phillips said. Well, she also thought about Jason's killing being drug-related. At his funeral, officers told her a man came to the police station angry over his relative's heroin arrest days before Jason died. Who is that person? Where is that person? Phillips wonders. Kentucky State Trooper Scotty Sharp said investigators combed and looked all over the place throughout Jason's entire case history, but they've declined to share any more details about the pending investigation than what they've already done. Well, as we're looking at it now, it's over eight years without Jason Ellis. In May, as part of an annual memorial, a caravan drove from police headquarters to the exit 34 ramp following Jason's final ride home. They stopped at Highview Cemetery where dozens of people said a prayer. That month, Amy Ellis sat down for an interview with a Louisville TV station. The case has been so deeply investigated and it just doesn't make any sense, according to Amy. Or that's what she told WDRB. Amy believes there's just simply not enough evidence and it's stymied the case. Her boys, as of this year, well, they'd be somewhere between 15 and 16 to 17 years old. They still cope with losing their dad. Amy, who has recently remarried, said Jason would not want us to just lay down and die and give up. She told the Daily Beast that her youngest son had begun to understand what happened to his dad. She lets the boys decide how to celebrate Jason and how they grieve. They keep photos of him around the house and his baseball memorabilia in the boys' room. They want to always remember Jason, not in big annual events, but during the more trivial parts of their lives. Her husband, Penn Brown, was an Air Force pilot based in Texas when Jason died. The newly married couple was set up by mutual friends after Amy moved to Louisville and Brown came home to Kentucky in 2016. I'm confident that Penn and Jason would have been great friends had they known each other, Amy said, adding that Jason's family immediately loved and welcomed him. When they married, not very long ago at all, Penn's vows included a promise to Jason's boys. He'd always honor Jason in the way he treats them. Penn wants Jason to look down and say, he's doing a darn good job. Amy said, and I don't think that there's a better way for him to keep his memory alive than that. The only thing that is certain is that Jason Ellis was killed that night on his way home to the family that he loved so much in Bardstown. Little Bardstown, without a shadow of a doubt, lost a hero. But they've also lost others. Four other victims some people say that all of these deaths are somehow intertwined and connected. It's entirely possible. Definitely think that the one between Crystal and her father, who died only a, a, about a year after she did, I certainly think that's connected. And for those who weren't aware, this special update from WHAS. Crystal Rogers Channel is one of four unsolved cases in Bargetown, Kentucky. In recent years, five people have been killed or went missing. 
forever fracturing this small town. We're taking a look back at those cases, starting with the 2007 police officer, excuse me, 2008 police officer of the year, Jason Ellis, who was ambushed while driving home from work. Ellis dedicated his time on the force to getting drugs off the streets. He was called into work on Memorial Day weekend of 2013 to a normal shift. When he was driving his daily route home, tree limbs blocked his exit on the Bluegrass Parkway. As he got out of his car to clear his path, he was shot many times in his stomach. People found Ellis unresponsive in the middle of the road and called 911. It was later determined that Ellis was ambushed, the debris blocking the road deliberately. One year later, in April of 2014, two more brutal killings. This time, a mother and daughter with reputations for being good and kind people. Kathy and Samantha Netherland were found dead in their home, tied up, beaten, stabbed, and shot. Kathy was an elementary school teacher in Bargetown, and Samantha was a teenager. The family had just lost their patriarch to cancer. The few clues include surveillance videos of a black car near the home. This makes three unsolved murders in one year. In July of 2015, that's when Crystal Rogers went missing. A year later, Crystal's father, Tommy Ballard, was shot and killed. Ballard was unwavering in the search for his daughter, often leading search groups. He would follow up on tips and wasn't going to stop until he found her. Days before Thanksgiving of 2016, Ballard and his grandson went on a hunting trip on their property. Not even a half hour in, Ballard was shot in the chest right in front of his grandson. Each one of these cases still unsolved. The latest update coming in today with the FBI now taking the lead in the Crystals Rogers disappearance. It seems as though the FBI has taken the lead on at least one of these cases. We'll keep you updated as further developments come about. Don't forget, check out our website, www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com. You can hear all the latest episodes, get the latest information. You can also contact us with your blurs. And don't forget to take 10% off. Patreon members can take up to 15% off store-wide. Plus, you help support the independent creators of The Mountain Mysteries so we can keep these stories coming. And if you've not done so already... Follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Practically anywhere podcasts are found, give us a five-star rating and write us a kind review, please. Those help more than you can possibly imagine. Also, check out the Mountain Mysteries Gatherings live Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook. For the Mountain Mysteries, the Mountain Mysteries Blurs, and the Mountain Mysteries Gatherings, I'm your host, Chris Sloan. Stay mysterious. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. Production.